when's the last time you took a moment and actually looked at what's on your desk like got down on a super obsessive macroscopic level and looked at the worlds that exist under your fingernails the worlds that exist on your dirty plates on your floors on the surface of a dime if you've been lucky enough to see my short film 12km you know my obsession with the macroscopic microscopic world in my film i was able to create entire scenes entire sets that were the size of a dime and with the power of high power microscopic and macro lenses and extenders um, and really great pinpoint lighting i was able to create a foreign landscape that normally would have cost i don't know thousands and thousands of dollars if i had to build a michael bay-esque on the side of an asteroid looking set which i was able to do with some ferrofluid and a heat gun in front of a lens on a table i love that stuff i think it's a lot of fun i'm known for it i'm known for doing my intense inserts um and people expect it from me i get a creative boner when i see another director doing it and doing it just as well if not better and i'm excited about today's episode because keeping with the themes for october our horror themes today's guest is has created a feature film on a incredible macro micro budget right so it's a self-contained micro-budgeted independent film that looks incredibly thrilling fascinating to watch it sounds amazing he uses uh the tools of cinema as part of his storytelling process which always gets me always gets me i mean his film was distributed by the alamo draft house alamo uh, draft house films so right off the bat you know we're in for some nerdy shit i love this stuff and at a time period when you're sort of going through horror cues right and you're like uh, how many how many like conjuring ripoffs do we see how many like ghosts woman dressed in black floating through a room movies are we gonna watch right how many purges do we need uh this month right this looks like something weird this looks like something different this feels like um early cronenberg right this has uh, a lot of the dna of uh i wouldn't even say carpenter but like it feels like an art house film that tackles cosmic horror and you've heard me talk about cosmic horror before on the show I've come to realize that that is my lane uh, and I love it. I was never a real big H.P. Lovecraft fan until I got older. I didn't read it as a kid, um, but I actually read the stuff. And I'm fascinated with the fear of things that we can't comprehend. And the hunt and the struggle for sanity and losing that sanity, trying to define what scares us trying to define what's happening to us and f and 
accidentally falling into some dark world that has always existed around us. That's that's the kind of horror I love. And I'm excited about today's guest. Joining me on the show today is Johannes Grainsfurt. He has created this film that I'm excited about. It's called Masking Threshold. Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com right now. Pause this. Watch the trailer. At least watch the trailer. The movie is available on streaming services right now. I'm going to get my hands on it so you can watch it on streaming services. The entire film. But go watch the trailer right now. I'll wait for you. Are you going? Okay. So you saw it. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? see why it obsesses like i'm obsessed with this thing and i'm also obsessed um with johannes i we talked we talk a lot about his attention to detail we talk a lot about how he thinks about making movies from a different angle how he comes at it from a different point of view uh he's over 40 and making his features now and he's very happy and very excited about it. He's got another feature that's in festivals called Rat's Nest, which I will also put the trailer up there on uh, inlovewiththeprocess.com. Go and check that out. We talk about both these films. We get real nerdy about horror. We get really nerdy about his process making this on his own with a very small team, very small crew. We go deep into the power of sound and how sound makes this movie. So if... And he, he lets out how much it costs to make this film. So we're going to talk about budgets for this. We're going to talk about um, what went into making this movie and how creative, like if you as a filmmaker, and I find myself this way all the time, right? I'm always hitting a roadblock going like, I need to make something. What am I going to do right now? And I'm always thinking too big, right? And I always feel that way. I'm always thinking too big and I want to be at a, a larger scale. And when I can't make those big things happen, oftentimes... That leads to the depression, right? That leads to to halting and, and just stopping. And then next thing you know, months have gone by. And you're like, I haven't fucking done anything. What do I need to do? I like the thought process behind this movie because it gets rid of all those external reasons why you should make it. It brings it down to its core essential elements. What is scary? What can you do with a camera on your own? How can you make this very attainable? I'm telling you, with his budget, going out to distro must have been fucking sweet. You know? Right? Because you're at least going to make your money back. It's really great. It's really great. Very exciting. Uh, so tune in. I'm excited to have you guys here. Welcome. This is my podcast. You were listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am the host, Mike Petchy. What's happening? Uh, bear with my my space cadetedness. Last night... Um, I ended up uh, going to hang out with the Puget guys over at the Adobe Max party here in Los Angeles. It was really great to see Matt. Um, and uh, went there with my buddy Lance, who you guys love, Lance Williams. By the way, Lance's episode on this show is number three at the most listened to shows. Why? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Is it the title of the show? Is it because he's a charismatic individual? He's probably listening to this right now. Um, why? Why is his number three? I mean, the porn star I get for being number one. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we were out last night. We did that. Oh, by the way, last week's episode, I was saying that I was going to the 
Collider Studios. I was completely wrong. I was going to Carter Digital. Oh, there's a bunch of you nerds listening that are like, you were a Car- Car- uh, Carter Digital Studios? Yes, I was. I was there last night, yesterday. I sat down and recorded a podcast with the guys, so that will be coming out soon. I think it will be released on their YouTube channel. Uh, I'll be sure to post about it on my Instagram at Mike Petchy or at the podcast Instagram in love with the process pod. But we sat down, we talked deep about directing. They talked a lot. They had a lot of questions about 12 cam for me. Um, but then we really got into the process of directing. It's a great podcast. Um, there were like three of us, four of us on a panel. There's four of us on a panel. Uh, and it videotaped. They videotaped it too. So you can look at uh, my ugly mug, uh, you know, <laughs> bullshitting and saying fuck way too many times on the show. <laughs> it's now over PG-13, I think, for that one. So, um, yeah, yesterday was fucking packed. Uh, dropped the episode uh, late last week. Hope you guys enjoyed it. It was worth it. Uh, we're really pulling apart uh, the the ideas, the, the the theories, the techniques behind horror this October, and I'm excited about it. I really am, uh, and I'm feeling invigorated and inspired. <sighs> you know, I just want to do a whole short film about a guy getting his fingernails pulled out. You know, I'm right there right now. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to go through this with you, and thank you everybody for following the show. Our numbers have been great. Let's see where we are this morning while we're chatting here. Our numbers have been crushing. Oh, yes. Another great day. Another great start to the day today. Fuck yeah. I love all you new guests. Thank you for listening. Big shout out to everybody in the United Kingdom um, and uh, Austria. Big listeners this week. Uh, London. Um, Arizona. Who is listening in Arizona? Give me a shout out on Instagram. I see you. I see your numbers. You guys are killing it. I'm so excited to have the new listeners sit here. And without your help, the show wouldn't be possible. Stick around to the end and we'll get deeper in it as I wrap out this episode. And make sure you stick around for the ad reads today because I will give you those tips on Photoshop that I completely floundered through <laughs> on, on last week's episode. All right. But in the meantime, let's get nerdy on a macroscopic level with horror on today's brand new episode of in love with the process so strap on those noise canceling headphones crank them to 11 sit back relax grab a beer and enjoy the episode mm, okay check check i intend to better understand and cure my hearing impairment let this be a record of my experiments as i search for a cure My assumption is that everything in the room with me contributes to the sound. Every time I bring a new object into the room, the sound changes. Whenever I remove one, the sound it introduced vanishes. The mere observation of a phenomenon inevitably changes the phenomenon. What causes the changes? Does the human body have a sound or does it vary by person? Is it the sound of life? It's time for the next step. Yes! Yes, there's a change. 
Oh my god. Death has a detectable, repeatable sound. We are not alone. The universe is talking. Something is out there in the emptiness and every void we think we see. Johannes, thanks for being on the show. How are you, my friend? Absolutely, I am great. Uh, so, so yeah, I like, like as we say in German, I can't complain any louder. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really great to meet you. I'm excited to be here this morning. Uh, bear with my deep, uh, sexy voice because I was out last night uh, doing a networking thing and uh, had too many beers. So. <laughs> oh. That's fine. I also had like a nice uh, dinner evening yesterday because I'm currently in Frankfurt at the B3, which is this film festival, art festival. And I had a really interesting, lovely evening with the brother of Julian Assange yesterday. Oh, who wow. just presented uh, a documentary about the Assange family and what's going on, of course. And uh, so I also had a little bit too much uh, <laughs> red wine yesterday, uh, but I got a decent uh, amount of sleep today. So that's good. <laughs> good, good. So you're in better shape than I am. Fantastic. <laughs> um, well, <clears throat> let me just say that uh, I hadn't heard about your work until earlier this week, and I saw the trailer uh, for Masking Threshold, and it looks awesome man and it's like right up my right up my alley uh I, I myself am also a horror film director and i love doing a lot of microscopic shots and macro shots and i just loved everything that i saw in that trailer so far so i'm very excited to see the to, to see the film wonderful oh so i have not seen it yet I that is not. actually perfect so I'll, i will try to do the non-spoilery things <laughs> <laughs> well yeah no. although there is i mean there's nothing to spoiler pretty much <laughs> it is very straightforward from the very moment that you start watching the film you kind of realize this is not going to end well <laughs> and it is not ending well so there we have it <laughs> yeah no i love it man i love what you're doing i love what you're playing with i love the gimmicks that it seems to be playing with with sound and um you know it seems to be tapping into a bit of like cosmic horror stuff which is kind of oh yeah my oh, yeah. thing it which is I love. pretty much like my yeah it's my interpretation of a lovecraft story so i mean it's not a lot it's not actually based on anything that lovecraft wrote but it is definitely in the realm of of weird horror or cosmic horror uh and uh, as in any good uh lovecraft related 
uh, story. I mean, of course, like someone dies or someone gets insane or many, many people die or many, many people <laughs> go insane, you know. And uh, yeah, in my my case, it's it's the story of this uh, kind of like, it's kind of like reclusive, uh, um, not not really comfortable person. <laughs> he's not comfortable with himself. He's not comfortable with the world. Uh, and uh, he has a tinnitus. Uh, so he's this uh, IT technician that uh, for three years before the plot starts has a tinnitus and he tries to find out what's going on with him. Oh. And uh, he starts experiments. He kind of like locks himself up in this uh, one makeshift laboratory that, that he created in his, in his house in Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the duration of the film, he's also not leaving that uh, little uh room or i mean sometimes he leaves but we don't see it oh so it's it's nice uh, so So it's like very self-contained it's like a self-contained oh it's extremely self-contained and 70 percent of the film is macro shots so and you never and you never see the face of the guy who is the protagonist oh or only bits and pieces of it very (laughs) so it is in a certain way i mean that's what i like about horror films so horror films have been doing a lot for getting the medium of film ahead, you know, like if you mm-hmm. see stuff like, you know, like Nosferatu, for example, in the twenties and all this like uh, expressionist uh, uh, kind of like set design and all that stuff. Or if you watch stuff like, I don't know, like uh, uh, the early torture porn stuff mm-hmm. or uh, mm-hmm. whatever, like, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, over the decades, I think that horror films were always the films that challenged the medium that did things that were experimental, that were somehow, uh, not established yet and then other genres or other formats of film took that over but but horror was pretty early in aesthetically visually interesting uh, yeah. uh depths let's call it and uh, at the same time which is also so cool <laughs> to a certain degree is that uh from the narration uh from from the narrative perspective yeah. horror film is pretty much telling the same old stories again and again and again. So from the narration story, horror films are mostly very conservative. Yes. And horror films don't like it if it's too out there and if it's they, they kind of want to see something they've already seen but in a different way. And uh, in a certain way I'm trying to play with this because uh, from a visual level, the film is highly experimental. You could say this is this almost looks like a crazy art house film or an experimental film to a certain degree. Yeah? Mm-hmm. But the plot is very straightforward. A guy goes insane, you know, <laughs> and uh, and does that in a very specific way, of course. But that was kind of like my 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 first uh, like like dipping my toes into the genre of horror films and. Uh, and the, the cool thing is, at the moment, I kind of have like two babies because the one baby is Masking Threshold that, that we've been talking about because yeah. Masking Threshold just had a two weeks theatrical release in the US and that's super cool. And of course, the streaming release that's that's going on. Uh, at the same time, I also had world premiere with my new film at Fantastic Fest called Ratsanest, Nest, oh. which is also a very crazy film. So I have the one baby that is kind of like one year old and kind of learning to walk. And the other baby, <laughs> I, I have to watch the placenta off, you know, <laughs> and I'm getting the first reviews of it. So this is a, a super interesting and exciting and special 
moment for me. <laughs> yeah, man. Congratulations. First off, that's that's amazing to have two going at the same time. And then, um, yes, to uh, address what you were saying about horror, that's also what I like about this genre is that the audience really celebrates you if you're getting crazy with your techniques and if you're if you're uh, trying new ways of uh, tackling the visual medium, the visual storytelling medium. I love that about horror too. And um, and it's it's fascinating because I've found this myself as a storyteller where the more, when I start to come up with ideas, I'm like, man, this needs to be so new and so crazy. And the more, the more complicated, the more off it is from what traditional horror feels like, then the harder it is to have people sort of identify with it. You really need to have something simplistic in the story structure uh, to take people on like this crazy visual ride that you're setting yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's so great to see. And I, I really, I, I really dig it. I have to say, yeah? I, I, I love it going on IMDb, and of course, in in in, in recent times, more letterboxed uh, to just like read what people are writing about my my film or my films and you can almost all the time see if it's a horror film that a horror film nerd <laughs> that, yeah. that wrote the review yeah <laughs> uh, because even if they really dig it so there's this one guy on letterbox who says like it's his favorite film of 2022 mm -hmm. uh mass threshold he only gave me 3.5 out of 5 you know <laughs> they're picking <laughs> It is very true. <laughs> they like very much reserve their high ratings for usually classic films that they saw when they were twelve years old. Yeah, but, but, but even the even like stuff like uh, you know like the thing or something like that uh, doesn't even rank that high. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you know, like like I, I have the feeling that horror films always rank lower on on rating platforms than than other film genres. So I think maybe that is something. Uh, correlating with how how horror nerds kind of like work or how they see the world <laughs> i was gonna say why do you think uh maybe i i think so i it, it's also fascinating that when you're a horror nerd it's almost like being a punk rock kid where you you wear it like a badge like you it is your definition um and so i think reserving those high ratings <laughs> I, it's almost like they feel like if they give a high rating to something, then they no longer can rate anything anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. <laughs> and especially like in horror film, I mean, the references, and they're, they're, they're like a metric shit ton of references in my film. Yeah. Uh, and most of them are not even important for the story. Uh, but I like it. I like to put that stuff in because not, not only about horror films, but in general, I'm a very nerdy person and nerds, are obsessive with their references and with their like how they see the world and they want to kind of like check out like how how many other people out there get the references and that kind of stuff. So for example, I I watched your short film. Um, oh, cool! And uh, and uh, your last one, I think uh, the one with the I, I'm not I don't want to spoil anything for sure. people out there, but the one the one that the one the Christmas time with the device. Oh, let's, let's who's there? Yeah, yeah, you saw who's there? Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And for example, so so in that scene, uh, where uh, at the very end, I'm not really spoiling anything nah, here, but there is nah. this like pink glow, and 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 uh, and and the guy goes up there in the pink glow. And for me, for example, I don't know if you did that on purpose, but for me, 
that totally reminded me of Poltergeist uh, yep. and the, the upstairs of Poltergeist yep. where they have the room in Poltergeist with the with the door to the other dimension and that kind of stuff. So so I, I think for, for, for people who like and, and, and love horror films and do them themselves, I mean, there is... There, there is no way not doing that because yeah, yeah. we love the things. I mean, am, am I am I am I off with my interpretation of that scene or not? <laughs> no, no, you're completely on point. And if I had to dig deeper into why we did it that way, it was a. <clears throat> I, I don't know if you saw my other film. The same thing with Twelve Kilometers. I wanted those movies to have the same language as. Uh, a lot of old Spielberg movies, but I didn't want to just recreate a Spielberg movie. So for me, it was like, what is the language that he's using? How, what is the language, uh, visual language that he uses? Like what a camera moves mean and what a camera moves evoke in an audience and what a lighting tr uh, tactics evoke in an audience. Let me take that same language and write a new story in that language, um, which was difficult to do, but that's what it was there for. So anytime I needed to do a specific technique, I would go, what's the, what's the Spielberg language? Okay, great. Let's write something new in that language. And I, I would always go back to that. So that's where the lighting bit came from. It was that, and also budgetary restrictions. So it's not like I had, <laughs> I had the money to do, you know, an Avenger style 3d animated monster that comes out of the doorway and grabs onto the person. So how do I evoke uh, that same sort of emotion by using practical effects, which I'm excited about masking threshold because it looks like everything's done practically with you. Did you shoot oh, everything? Yeah, yeah. In it? yeah, we had we had a couple of things that I mean, uh, there, there's one one super fun story that that I, I wanted to be super. Uh, practical, especially because it's like seventy percent macro shots, and it's so hard to fake yeah. macro imagery because it is so detailed, and and uh, it was a pain, pain in a literal ass. But uh, <laughs> but <laughs> well, what did you uh, but, what did you but, find difficult about it? Was it lighting the macro shots that were difficult, or was it just? Shooting breathing, them that was difficult. breathing, breathing. Yes. You have like the thing. You have a sixty-five millimeter lens, yes, uh, like enlargement lens, and you do something on the desk. I mean, even if it's still, even if you only there's one shot where 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 I shot candy corn. You know, like there's like there's a giant candy corn. No, yeah. and and you hit record on the camera, and of course the build is shaky as hell. You know, because you just hit the button on the device on the camera yeah and then yeah. you have to wait until the shaking stops yeah yeah and you're on the same ground as the tripod so we <laughs> had started to have a certain technique of holding our breath so so the good thing in the meantime there are good stabilizing filters in, in post-production and editing so i got some of that shakiness out because it's almost always there but but that aspect for example was 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 crazy <laughs> and uh well dude and i just I completely, I completely sympathize with you. My other film, Twelve KM, it's all like all my effect shots are either through microscopes or macro stuff. So I know the painstaking process that it takes. But also, there's something so fascinating about the world that lives at our fingertips that we really don't see at that level and at that size. So it seems like yeah, any anytime you put a yes, yeah. anytime you put a macro lens on that, it's like. This is whole world on a surface of a dime that I didn't even know existed, and it's yeah. In, in my case, I wanted to do that because the guy's going insane, and so because it's a film about tinnitus and the sound design and all that stuff is super important. So all the people usually say like, "Oh my god, 
it's uh, because it's it's kind of like a ninety-minute monologue of the guy doing experiments and 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 talking about it, almost in this like YouTube channel like fashion. It's almost like a almost like a a, a DIY video on YouTube or an, or an or an unboxing video to a certain degree because he uses new techniques and finds new things and that kind of stuff. And so so my idea was first I had this idea I want to work. Uh, and I want to create a film about, about a guy going insane. And I wanted to do and show and portray that going insane in an interesting visual way. Yes. And then I had this idea of like, hey, why not doing that with a macro mm-hmm. shot setup? Because uh, he is literally kind of like falling into the infinity of his desk. So like cool. most of the film is just his desk. You know, he's doing experiments and recording that and narrating it. Uh, and pondering about it, but whatever you look, you say that uh, you said it yourself. Whatever you look at in uh, in enlargement is strange. It's a strange world, uh, and uh, if, if you look at the piece of pizza, it's disgusting. Yeah, I mean, it's just like all the fat, the bubbliness, whatever it is. Like, uh, uh, so, so, so it, it helps, of course, uh, the, the environment of a horror film. Uh, if the stuff that you look at is like uncanny and looks strange and everything, everything in enlargement looks strange and uncanny. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's how it is. And, uh, and so that was my first idea. Okay. We'll do that with the, the, the macro shots and, uh, and side effect was that you actually never see really the guy, you never see the face of the guy. You hear him talk and it's kind of like this like 90 minute monologue. And, uh, and many people say like, well, it, it sounds like that you recorded like the monologue and then you found images to it. But strangely, it was the other way around. So huh. I first had ideas for most of the, of, 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 of the setups and the images. And, uh, that was that was the start of the journey of the film, yeah. Oh. And then, of course, when you write the script and you you work with the voice actor in my case, because the guy you see in the film is me because I'm cheap, and the guy <laughs> you hear is a voice actor. So it's kind of the corp the corporeal entity is me, yeah. And the voice entity is is uh, now my good friend Ethan Haslam from LA nice. uh, that I that I found in this. Um, uh, kind of classic uh, scouting session with Julianne who is also my my co-producer but also my 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 casting agent and uh yeah and I, I mean there were a lot of back and forth of that but yeah it actually wasn't as many people think kind of like a finding images for narration but I had most of those images in mind already huh. not recorded yet and that was a starting point. And then I started writing the script. And then I did adjustments between the the script and, and, and the visuals. Because the last thing in the film that we did is record the voice. Right. That was before the editing started. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there are so many stories about that. Because, I mean, I'm not sure how I can uh, spoil some of that stuff. But there are things in there that were just crazy. For example. Yes. Uh, uh, the protagonist at some point uh, kind of like burns a hole into his knee with a burning cigarette. <laughs> and it's my it's my knee, it's a real burning cigarette, and I just did it because I thought like, fuck it, you know, like I just do it, you know? Yeah, really, the, like, very because method. You me, yeah, because he asked me about the digitality of the whole thing and how much is practical and how much is digital. That's one of the few digital shots. Really? Because honestly... 
burning a real hole into my knee. It was painful. It was not worth it because it looked fucking fake. <laughs> it didn't look real. Yeah. So yeah. I gave that to, to a company and said like, please, Hey, have a look at that shot. It just like, doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, I really burned a hole in my knee, but it doesn't look real. So what can you do with it? And then they, they pimped it up, you know, and they, yeah. and they, and they, they played around with the, the embers and all of that stuff. So, so I was actually, I, I was doing weird stuff like this, uh, to 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 get the real uh, the, the, the real the real images yeah. in that case it completely failed. <laughs> uh, so how long did it take you to shoot the whole thing? So it's hard to tell, but I guess like on and off we worked for like three months or something like that. Yeah, so not every cool. day, but I mean the cool thing is that it's one room and the room is in my apartment in Austria. Yeah, and uh, and so my 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 DOP flow whenever he had time, whenever I had time, he dropped by because we didn't record audio on set. Mm -hmm. uh, the only person besides that was um uh yasmin my my other co-producer she helped a little bit with with setting stuff up and organizing things but it was pretty much like me and Flo in that room uh of like 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 three hours on one day one hour the next day then nothing for a week then like seven hours on one day and eight hours on one day so like in the end we just like went chronologically through the script and shot all the stuff that we needed and uh and that was before covid actually so oh, many wow. people ask hey it sounds like a uh, and looks like a covid film because it's one guy you, you kind of never see <laughs> in one yeah. room so you had some time during covid i was like no i wrote the thing with samantha before covid happened we shot all the principal photography stuff before covid happened the only thing that got delayed was that i wanted to get on a plane on the 17th of march mm. 2022 uh 2020 uh to fly to la to record with ethan ah. and that was the day that that trump said like no we have a travel ban now nobody can fly into the us anymore because of covid <laughs> uh and then and then we kind of had to do the audio recording session through Zoom. So I was kind of like directing Ethan, who was sitting in a yeah. uh, an audio studio in LA, uh, and he was recording there with the technicians, and and I was kind of like directing him from the other side of the planet, uh, which uh, worked super well, I have to say. And uh, and then I could get obsessive with the editing because I really had like a year of yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for editing the whole thing the film came out and had world premiere at fantastic fest in 2021 in september nice. so pretty much i had kind of like a year of getting obsessive with the editing and and you haven't seen it yet but you kind of see glimpses in yeah. the trailer yeah uh, it's uh, there there a lot of stuff is going on a lot of fast cuts and a lot of things and a lot of uh, uh it, it was good that i could actually edit the thing let it sit for three months, edit it again, or change it, you know, and 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 that that was good. So, yeah. so that was something that uh, I would have not given me if uh, that that kind of time for editing if COVID wouldn't have happened. Yeah, right. So, totally, totally yeah. fascinating. How long is the whole movie? Is it like ninety minutes or? It's ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's, nice feature length, yeah. it's genius, yeah. man. I love the idea of you uh, because it, it it seems like, and you don't have to tell me how much it costs to make, but it seems like it is very affordable to make. And oh yeah, no, twenty k. Okay, I can, I can okay. tell you, twenty k. Right. Between twenty and twenty five k. So it's kind of like, it's, it's super micro budget. <laughs> it's you know, fantastic, and, dude. And, 
uh, because I mean there were not that many people involved and not that many people needed to be involved. <laughs> so yeah. it was uh, it was a very contained project. I mean the problem is that uh, that I mean. I, I, I'm an Austrian, so I, I live in Austria. So, like, like the center of my my life is still in Austria. But I'm I'm in the states like three four months every year, pretty much. If there's not a pandemic mm-hmm. going on, and I, I I even used to have a green card, uh, but I returned it. Like I gave it back a couple of years ago because my the center of my life kind of like moved back to Europe, mm. and but I still have a, have a strong connection. Uh, to the states, I have so many friends there, and and that was also one of the reasons why I said like, hey. Actually, I mean, I'm filming the whole thing in Austria, and I'm an Austrian, but but the film should be based in the U.S. Mm. because there are certain things and political environments in the U.S. and the guy is a Floridian and he lives in Florida, near Orlando, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and, and Flor- like Florida man, so to speak. <laughs> and and uh, uh, so so for me that was important. So so when I when I was. Uh, in, uh, in 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 Florida in 2019, I bought two suitcases full full of props, and because you see everything in enlargement, you cannot you you can't trick a lot a lot. So yeah, you need you need scissors that look like scissors uh, in the U.S. You need glue that's an American glue brand. You need even like even like the Coke bottles, the the the, the plastic Coke bottles look different in the U.S. than in Austria. So I like. I, I, I kind of brought everything from the U.S., from Florida, so I could build my little chamber of horrors, little Floridian <laughs> chamber of horrors must in, have been, my, in my apartment in Austria. <laughs> it, must, it must have been fascinating for you to go through customs with like a, like a, like a suitcase full of scissors and glue. And <laughs> oh, yeah, weird shit. Yeah, it, it was strange. Like, and, and, and also stuff like, you know, like grass, you know, <laughs> I brought Floridian grass because the grass looks different in Austria and I'm very nerdy. And the guy does experiments with stuff outside of his uh, house. Uh-huh. So even the grass, and, and the grass in Florida is, you know, like, so it's so kind of chunky and thick and it's like, this like, you know, like subtropical grass, you know, <laughs> and I smuggled some of that grass uh, to Austria. I'm, I'm glad they didn't see it because of course that's highly illegal. Yes. I'm saying it. <laughs> no, I'm saying it. I'm saying it. You didn't catch me. And uh, stuff like that. And of course, I mean, there's, uh, I think I have to spoil a little bit, but of course, like in the progress of the guy getting insane, he's starting experimenting on, on things and mm-hmm. then on, and then on living things, and then it mm-hmm. gets kind of like up, up, up the, up the food chain, so to speak. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and for example, uh, uh, he he kills an ant, and he, he squishes an ant, and I show that in macro, and uh, and I and that was also I have to say the only animal I really killed for this film was this one ant. So if Peter is coming around, <laughs> uh, let's have a discussion about the ants. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'll, yeah. Pay, I'll pay you. I'll pay you a beer, Peter. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. and uh, so so of course I needed an ant that is native to Florida, and it was like the one ant I killed. That was like eighty bucks right there because I bought it online in in a in, in a German web shop that sold Weird. different kinds of ads, you know. <laughs> so, so I bought 
bought a Floridian harvester ant. Weird. And I got five. I got five fucking ants. And and I needed like at least 20 or 25 in the story of the film. So I shot with the five ants, all the all the scenes that are needed with the ant with the ants. Uh-huh. But ants are kind of stupid, yeah. They they <laughs> and and they always try to kill themselves because I bought a little jail, like a, uh, I built a little, constructed a little jail for them uh-huh. out of like two-sided <laughs> tape so they couldn't run away. Uh-huh. But of course, they wanted to kill themselves. They wanted to, like one ant wanted to, to, to get stuck on the tape so the next ant can climb over the, the ant. And so like like make a chain so the ants can escape. They're kind of <laughs> like a hive mind, you know? And, and I saw that this like stupid, Pendously expensive ants are killing themselves right in front of me before I can even start shooting. You know, oh, and, talk about and, stressful. And, and, and it was kind of stressful. Yeah, yeah, it was the most stressful like ten minutes of the entire shoot. You know, and 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 I thought like I hope that they are not all killing themselves before I before I can kill one. So <laughs> they, they, okay, so so they're yeah. super expensive. I love the attention to detail. I think it's fantastic but i mean do you think the audience would have been able to tell the difference between they would probably be able to see a difference between a tropical ant and like an austrian central european (laughs) ant of some kind of course yeah yeah because the 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 tropical ants they're always like they're a little bit bigger they have better you know like claws and thingies and and and, yeah of course red they're just like bright red harvester ants that's true it's very true it's very true i love the attention to detail though and the the self-torture it really works with the yeah, movie yeah. in general I, I, absolutely yeah so and if, it's it's kind of similar for, for my for my new movie Ratsnest, because that's also a very contained story and it's almost like two films in one or like an audio play combined with a film or something like that so it's also a very 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 strange concept that was easily made and i really enjoyed uh, also having like a certain form of containment that was different than the containment of, of, of masking threshold, but also in that one where the audio design is also very mm. important. You hear the difference if someone pours boiling water into a cup or cold water into a cup, you know, there is a difference, mm-hmm. you know, like even if you don't see it, you, you somehow subconsciously feel that is boiling water or that is cold water, or you might probably like, like not really give it a lot of attention Mm-hmm. But there is a certain like uh, periphery that you, that your that your brain immediately recognizes as there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I'm, I'm always trying to be very precise about that kind of stuff. And if they're pouring boiling water into a cup, I'm talking to my sound engineers like, yeah, we have to do that with real boiling water. I'm I'm very <laughs> precise. I'm very anal about that kind of stuff because in the end, that is what makes a movie good or bad, I have to say. It's I just like, completely it's like, agree with you, dude. Especially when we, you know, this goes back to what we were talking about initially. Horror movies are technique-based. Horror movies are visual-based. And so the, the more detailed that you are, the the, the more anal you are about the specifics, the better the piece feels, the more refined the piece feels. I completely oh, yeah. agree with you. Completely agree with you, dude. You can tell the difference. Um, I love all of this. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I cannot wait to watch this. I really yeah. cannot wait. And, it, so, and it's, it, it, it's fun. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I have to say, because uh, usually my work, and you cannot 
probably can tell from my personality. I'm a very, I'm a very joy, joyful person, and <laughs> most of my work because I, 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 I founded this art uh, collective called Monochrome, which is also now the name of my production company for the films, like 30 years ago, and we have been uh, we have been doing so many different things. So like we, I mean, the whole thing started as a kind of like 1990s cyberpunk fanzine of some kind. And, and over, over time, I kind of realized, I mean, it, it's interesting to play with all kinds of different techniques and media. So I did audio plays and I did uh, theater and, and computer games and pranks. And uh, uh, like we are running, for example, which is completely weird, but we are running for 25 years now, a festival for cocktail robotics, where we invite people to build machines that make or uh, that mix or serve cocktails. Fascinating. You know? Fascinating. Weird shit, weird shit, you know, like, and but the cool thing about that is because people ask me, how is this even possible? Like, you made this great film for 25k? How is this possible? Well, if you spend most of your creative life in an art context, yeah. you kind of learn to 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 get the most out of a buck because i mean yes it, i find it so weird that people tell me well you know like it's an independent film it was only five million bucks and it's like what the fuck yeah. <laughs> five million bucks doesn't sound like an independent movie for me like i made a movie for 25k that's fucking independent you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 in a certain way i like that because because with masking threshold and with rat's nest both films would not exist if I would have gone through the classic way of either the uh -huh. classic film funding way in Europe, where you go through this like almost bureaucratic process yeah. uh, to get your money, or if you have to convince some producer uh, or some grant also like Sundance or whatever it is in the US, uh, all the people I told the idea about Masking Threshold Mm -hmm. Same is true with Rot's Nest. I told them the basic idea and they all said like, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. Just like, this is a waste of time, you know? And yeah, I was like, no, no. It's like, I want to do that. And the cool thing is because it was so cheap, I could scrape a little bit of money together. I could, yeah, I got yeah, a yeah. little bit of a video art grant there. So it's so, and this and that. And I had the amount of money. Uh, and I, I, and, and the most important thing for a filmmaker is an Excel sheet. So we like, you have to make a list and what, mm -hmm. what you have and what you can afford and what not. And mm -hmm. what is self exploitation and what is okay. And what is exploitation of other people, which is probably not that okay. <laughs> so let's, 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 uh, let's balance that out. Yeah. And and see what's coming out of it and i'm so happy that both films were made at this shoestring budget because i'm very happy with them very very happy with them and they would not look like that with a producer breathing down my neck i completely i completely agree with you man and i i think that because you're you have this control like for, for instance the fact that you never see your lead character fully that would have been a note from a producer like how how can we exactly. not see the lead character you know um and and then when you're sort of this is how i came up too if you're if you're going at it from a back doorway almost like you're coming at it from the from the other side of filmmaking um and you have to rely on yourself for techniques you have to rely on your physical skills and what it is that you have there you end up writing your own visual language when you do that which is interesting yeah. and then as the piece most people don't understand that stuff until it's cut really it's all about the edit yeah, absolutely I, I i i'm 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 bursting with appreciation with what you say <laughs> <laughs> no 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 really no no the, a, a film is made in the editing and yes. uh and there is uh 
if I, I already know that because since last September, when when Masking Threshold came out and when Drafthouse Films bought it, etc., I have been in in a couple of uh, meetings uh, and pitches with with bigger production companies in the U.S. and and really well known names, and there are a couple of things in development, and it's it's such an interesting process, and it's wonderful to see, and it's great, and there is it, it it's wonderful to see that there's something on the horizon where I can do something with more than twenty five k, you know, and mm-hmm. you you kind of you kind of enjoy that attention also and that 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 that's that sphere of possibility yeah? at the same time i'm already feeling melancholic about just like not being able to do what i actually really want <laughs> uh, right gang you know the deal it is time to take an extended break and get nerdy about what I'm working with these days, right? Let's get nerdy about the gear and the tech. You know what's really fun is that I was at, uh, I talked about this briefly at the beginning. I was at the Puget party at Adobe Max last night. And uh, there was a bunch of fans there. Some of you listening right now. It was really great to meet you guys. Took some photos with fans, got to hang out. And everybody said that they love to listen to the ad reads. Who would have thought? <laughs> what do we, we've cracked the code here on the podcast. We do ad reads different than anybody else, apparently, because most people skip through ad reads. But I know why. I know why you're here. I give you, I give you little nuggets in here. And you guys, you guys are nugget addicts. You guys like to eat them. I know. Can you tell I haven't slept? I'm going crazy. Um, before I get into it, before I start talking about Puget and all my buddies, I brought up last week on the show, uh, ill-prepared, brought up some techniques with Photoshop. Many of you use Photoshop. I still think Photoshop is the most magical program that has ever existed. Every time I sit down in front of it, I do something amazing with it. I can create worlds with it. I can completely lie about what was shot and why, how people look and warp things and change things and make it look perfect or make it look strange or make it look odd. And I love that about Photoshop. I've always loved that about Photoshop. I've been a Photoshop user since like version, I don't know, two or three. So it's been a long fucking time. Um, but many of you, if you are now shooting with Let's say, for instance, you're using one of the Fuji cameras, which, by the way, I'm still going to be giving away a camera. I know I haven't uh, hit you guys up with the details yet. I've just been busy, but I have it sitting here in a box. It is going out. Stay tuned. I will give you. I'm going to sit down a day or so from now and write out the rules for how you can win a free fucking Fuji cam. And uh, Fuji Films camera is amazing. It's amazing. Uh, so in the meantime... What was I just doing? I was looking for something. Okay, let's say that you were shooting with uh, the same camera that Gina was using on her last production. And I referenced this because I we're dealing with this right now. So she shot all her stills with the Fujifilm GFX 100S. And uh, what's really great about that camera is that uh, it shoots large format images. 
right? Large format images. For those of you who shoot video, it's like using the the uh, Airy Mini LF open gate, medium format size stuff. Um, but the files that you get from it are massive, massive. By the time she runs them out of ca Capture One, uh, they end up being a few gigs per file. And so when you start to add layers to that, when you start to do stuff in Photoshop with that, it's pretty fucking huge. And you get to a point pretty quickly that you're not saving a PSD, which is your standard file format for any sort of uh, Photoshop file that you're doing with layers. Once you get over two gigs, um, you have to go to the PSB file format, which enables you to save files over two gigs in your operating system. Um, but it's massive. And uh, for quite some time, uh, Gina would do her work and run it out and you would watch that save bar and you'd sit there for about 15, 20 minutes, especially with a, a file that size and it had like 15, 20 layers of uh, effects and work done on it. You'd be sitting there 15, 20 minutes. And it's very difficult if you're trying to continue to save your process as you go along because it's just continuously buffering. Would take up so much time. Now, at first, we thought it was because the system wasn't fast enough. We thought it was because uh, she didn't have enough uh, processor speed to be able to do this quickly. So I did it on the brand new system that we have. We got a fucking amazing fast system. I think I could talk about it. We'll talk about it next week's episode. I'll get all the specs together, but I got a brand new Puget system that I love. Super fast. The fastest chip on the market right now and so we did it in there and it was still running it still took a while and i said okay so this is obviously something to do with the program and how it's saving things we did a little research and here's a tip for you if you guys are working with the file format sizes out of these fujis that are huge and you're doing stuff in photoshop and you want to speed up your process what's taking so long is on top of saving it's also compressing the file so it's like you're saving it and then zipping it at the same time. That's what's taking all that time. If you want to save time while you're working on the piece, right, for saving, go into your preferences in Photoshop, click on file handling in Photoshop, and then hold on. Just want to make sure I have the right thing. Bum, 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 bum. Here we go. If you click on file handling in, in Photoshop in the preferences, Go down and click dis Disable Compression of PSD and PSB Files. If you disable the compression, you'll see it saves within seconds. It's a fast save. You'll also notice that that file is twice the size. So you may end up with like a six gig file that you're working with. Here's what my suggestion for the workflow is. Have it be that big while you're doing all your edits, right? Because you want to be saving backups. You want to be saving as you go. You want those auto files, auto save files to be going at the same time. That's all good. Uh, when you're done with your edit and you're going to master out an image or more importantly, you're going to archive that PSB file so you can go back and fuck with the layers when the clients decide, I don't really like the grain on that. You know what I mean? Um, then unclick the disable compression and save that PSB file compressed for archive and that'll take a little while but at least you won't have to sit through the render while you're working i know that's 
super nerdy, but I wanted to give you guys a really interesting tip. This really is changing the workflow for us uh, because it would take hours to do shit. And this brings it down to minutes. So I figured I'd share that with you. It's a weird little sub thing within Photoshop. And this is what I love about these programs. And Adobe does not sponsor me. Um, is that there's, there's so many options and variations for how to do things. I love that about it. And I know Adobe's been getting a lot of shit lately because of the way that they handle certain codecs, what a pain in the ass it is for some sort of codecs and to keep things up to date. But they do really great things with Photoshop. I would say that. And if you're going to run Photoshop, if you're going to run Premiere, if you're going to run Resolve, there's a lot of people jumping to the DaVinci Resolve to edit these days. I have not done that yet. Um, you're going to need a, a computer that can run it. You're going to need a computer that can handle it. You're going to need a machine with some power and a, an investment. You, when you invest a large investment in the computer, you want to make sure that it will last for years. You want to make sure that it's upgradable. And you want to make sure that you get customer support from real people. So when I decided to jump ship from Apple, because I didn't like the way that they did things, I didn't like the way that they treated me as a client, and I also didn't like their disposable hardware philosophy, where they'll release a software update rendering your hardware useless, and you just have to throw it away, right? I just don't like that. Blame it on the uh, climate issues that we have and how we treat the planet, yes, but also my fucking wallet. There's nothing worse than working on a, a timeline in an editor that works perfectly fine that morning, and then there's a software update that afternoon, and now you can't edit the same shit. And for you to do the same thing, it's gonna cost you thousands and thousands of dollars again. I don't know when we became slaves to subscriptions. That is a whole other rant. If you want to jump ship with me, go to PC. PCs run faster, PCs are upgradable, uh, it's a highly competitive marketplace, so prices are a lot more competitive, prices drop quicker, you can buy parts used from different places, it isn't controlled by one giant conglomerate, so it's very affordable, um, and if you're going to do that and you want to buy a PC that comes in a box that you just plug in and has amazing customer support, go to pgsystems.com. There you can buy a computer based upon the software you use. Um, and uh, they love to talk to their clients. They love to build custom systems for you. So reach out to them. Check them out. Head over to Puget Systems on Instagram and say, hey, thanks for supporting the show. They have been a sponsor of mine for over five years. It's crazy. It's crazy. They also sponsor Corridor Digital. I was over there and in their whole space, all Puget Systems, right? So a lot of the stuff that you love are being cut on Puget Systems today. So go check them out. Um, and like I said, Fujifilm has been supporting us now. They're a big, they're a big sponsor of the show. Uh, not only is Gina shooting with the GFX 100S, but uh, I have been doing video on the XH2S. I always have to look at that because it's such a hard number to remember. Um, and I love it. I will say this. Fujifilm. I shot uh, H.265 on it and I brought it into the system and I thought it was the oldest system wasn't powerful enough to run it but apparently the H.265 codec is a fucking bastard. It runs choppy no matter what. I have like the beefiest system on the marketplace right now and it still runs choppy and that might be a premiere issue. You know? Apparently these like 
H.264 and H.265 codecs are very uh, processor heavy, right? They really sort of lag on the processor, even though they compress really well and they look great. But they're a bitch to edit sometimes, especially if you're doing 4K. It's very strange. Doesn't make any sense sometimes. Um, but other than that, I think that you can also shoot ProRes with it. So I think that's what I'm going to do next time. Once again, the ProRes format. Saving the day. Um, so yeah, check it out, man. And I will be having a Fujifilm. That camera I have here sitting here. I'm going to be giving that away. I keep teasing it, but it's happening. It's fucking happening. Just stand by. Also supporting the show are friends over at Indie Pro Tools. We gave away a battery back. Uh, I talked to those guys. Maybe we'll do another one. It's great. People really like to do the contest stuff, and you guys are going to reap the benefits. If you want to win any gear from us on the show, make sure you follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy because that's where I'll talk about it. Um, but Indie Pro Tools is the place to go if you're looking for power solutions, battery solutions for your cameras. Um, I have a Blackmagic 6K Pro rig, and the thing I hate about it, <laughs> they're going to hate me for saying that, is that their internal battery system, they have a tiny battery inside of it, and the only way you could charge that battery is by plugging in the camera. How does that useful on a shoot at all? doesn't make sense to me. And it doesn't come with a charger. When did we decide that batteries shouldn't come with charges when you buy a camera? I don't get it. I don't understand. So I wanted to just sort of skirt around the entire process. I wanted a battery setup. I wanted a gold mount battery setup with a charger, fast charger that would run my camera and also run all the accessories. So if I'm running like small HD monitors or, or Teradex or anything else, it can all be run by one battery. So I got my hands on a sweet uh, battery plate for the back and uh, I love it. I've got a bunch of bricks. I uh, The shoot that we did two weeks ago, I was running on my monitors, my client monitors, everything with the batteries. I love them so much. If you want to get your hands on great a great power resource, Indie Pro is the one-stop shop for all your power needs. Um, Indie Pro offers a wide selection of professional V-mount, gold-mount batteries and chargers, battery adapter plates. That's what I was talking about. Regulation cables and many other unique accessories. These solutions are compatible for most popular brands in the market today, such as Sony, Canon, Blackmagic, Panasonic, and numerous others. I actually have... Oops. I gotta fucking make a lot of noise. Get it. I have sitting here, which I don't need. I have a D-Tap to Canon LPE6 type dummy battery for small HD monitors. So this is essentially a D-Tap, which will plug into a brick uh, that goes into a Canon battery port so if your monitor is running on canon batteries i've got one of these that i don't need from indie pro if you're listening to the show write to me on instagram if you want it and say mike will you send me that dtap canon lpe6 um and i'll send it to you for free just pay for shipping i don't need it you can have it there you go I'm giving away something free that's why you listen to the ad reads Write to me on Instagram, I'll send it to you. Uh, but in the meantime, if you're looking to buy any of these products, go to IndieProTools.com and use the promo code LOVE20 at checkout. Receive the discount 20% off your entire first order at IndieProTools.com. All right. Supporting the show, as always. Honestly, game changer for me. 
this year, 2022's game changer is, say it with me, everybody, jambox.io. Jambox.io is the place to go if you're looking for licensed music. And everybody is looking for licensed music, whether you're doing commercials, if you're doing podcasts. Um, but if you head on over to jambox.io right now, listen to their music. It's fucking amazing. I've played on this show consistently. And you assume that it's a musician donating their stuff to me. It's at the same caliber. Any of my edits that you've seen this year, whether it was the Robert Pattinson GQ stuff, or if it was the boys for Entertainment Weekly, um, or if it's any of the Boohoo Man stuff that came out, all those tracks were built using jambox.io. I have the unlimited commercial plan, which I love. It's $19.99 a month. Uh, it's a, you get a seven-day free trial with it, by the way. So it's a good idea to do it right when you start a project. And here's the other trick. Most projects, most edit projects that you do or clients out there will at least throw $100, bucks, 150 bucks, $200 towards a music track. The cheap ones. You all know who I'm talking about. Take that cash, buy the entire year. You can use it for all your other clients. There you go. Uh, for $19.99 a month, unlimited commercial, you get everything from their creator plan, which we'll talk about in a minute, but you get full access to sound effects mm -hmm. and stems, meaning like songs broken down to beats, to leads, to uh, vocals, so you can pull songs apart and rebuild them yourself. Uh, you can use this stuff for paid advertising, corporate business events, weddings, live events, and, and there's an annual commitment, which is great. So it's billed at $239 annually, so it's only $19.99 a month good deal. If you're just a creator making stuff for YouTube, if you're a student, if you're doing podcasts or vlogs, all those podcasts out there that have boring, shitty music, take note. Go to Jambox. Sign up for the creator. It's $9.99 a month. It's like a, just over $100 annually. You have a 30-day free trial. You get full access to all music, unlimited downloads for social media, web streaming, personal student projects, film festivals. Film festivals. Everybody's looking for music that's released for film festivals. There's such great operatic stuff. There's such great action stuff. Really big, beefy, epic music tracks that sound great. Uh, $9.99 a month, you can get that. And if you're a student, you get all that for 6 bucks a month. Or if you're someone that is tired of subscription plans, you can do single song licensing. It's incredibly affordable. For YouTube personal, it's like 19 bucks, 20 bucks per song. It's almost better for you to get the plan, by the way, just with the pricing. Head on over to jambox.io right now and uh, have it change the way your work sounds, your way, believe it or not, the way your work looks. We talk about it on the show today, you know? Jambox. Uh, let's see, who do I forget? I don't think I forgot anybody else. We got a uh, little Fuji film. We got a little Puget Systems. We got a little Jambox. Did I miss anybody? We got a little Indie Pro. No, didn't miss anybody. While you're listening to the show, remember, if you head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com, I will put all the supplemental material for today's episode up there. So you can check out everything that I talk about on the show today, uh, trailers, etc., etc. Or you can check out our sponsors. You can see our deals. There's a lot of promo codes for a lot of our sponsors that you'll find in the sponsor section of inlovewiththeprocess.com. All right, that's it. Back to the episode.
we grow up, at least I did, and I'm sure you feel the same way. I grew up watching these movies that that uh, influenced me so much, whether you're talking John Carpenter, you're talking David Cronenberg, you're talking David yes. Lynch, these films that um, I really want to make. And when you're on an independent level for so many years, there's so much that you teach yourself to be able to do. You learn how to shoot, you learn how to edit, you learn all these different techniques, but you always hit a plateau if you're trying to make it feel and look like the movies that influenced us when we we're getting older. And that plateau ultimately is money because there hits a point where it's like, physically, I can't do that same dolly shot. I can't do that same setup without 14 people. And I need to have 14 people to do that setup. So I find that I always, when I'm doing indie stuff, I find that I'm always getting close to it. I'm getting very close to where I want to be, but there's always that threshold of like, yeah, yeah. exactly, uh, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, and I think at some point we probably have, but I, I know that nerds are super harsh about that. But at some point, you just have to let go of that. You just have to let go and say, uh, "I have to be one step further. I'm not. I, I shouldn't try to to copy yep. the stuff that yep. I love." I should try and harvest whatever is possible out of that, kind of like learn the cultural grammar of it and kind of like absorb it yep. and then put it in, into the meat grinder that is your brain and make something new out of it. And that is for me always the difference between a good and a bad movie. Because yes. honestly, I have to say there aren't, uh, I, have a, I have a very democratic approach to that. I think there are no bad movies. I think that whoever had the guts of mm -hmm. starting to make a film and finish that film is a hero, honestly. Yes, uh, yes. It is like, like for people like on Letterboxd saying like, oh my God, what a waste of energy, what a waste of good ideas, something like that. All those fuckers who just like try to, to survive on a set for like two hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, just the, the, just the miracle that it takes for you to yeah. get over the fact personally going i don't know should i make this should i not make this i don't think i should make this just getting over that internal conflict that we have with any idea like is this good yeah. enough to make i don't know and you get past that stage that's a fucking miracle within itself and then convincing people to give you cash or give you their time or give you energy that's a miracle and then every yeah. time you're on set and you're shooting there's a hundred people coming to you going this is why you should not be doing this this needs to shut down right now we're having trouble with the location. We're having trouble with that. And you have to sort through all of that. To, to Waiting for sound. Exactly. Waiting for sound. Exactly. And so I agree with you. If there's a movie that has, you know, a 1% on Rotten Tomatoes, it's a miracle that that even got made. It's a miracle that it even got to, to, to Rotten Tomatoes. So, and it's also a miracle that someone on Rotten Tomatoes actually rated it. Yeah. So there is always, you know, like, so, I mean, really, yeah. So, so yeah. It's, it's, yeah, anyhow, like, but but I'm, I'm very optimistic about uh, that kind of stuff. So it's like, I, I find, so for example, Letterboxd, uh, they asked me to write a list of my like uh, 10, 15 uh, films that I that I that that really influenced my filmmaking and that kind of stuff, and and already I feel like I feel conflicted, you know, like oh my god, fifteen films, that's yeah. kind of hard, and yeah. and of course I can't put all the stuff in there that everyone knows because if I write, yeah, I mean I almost shed in my pants when I first watched Poltergeist when I was eight years old. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it kind of it kind of of course uh, 
had an impact on on my psyche. But yeah. I mean, where do I start? What influenced me? Everything influences me, uh, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and and at the same time, and it's like we we are so much in a in a world that is like begging for attention you know like and 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 lists are like an, an element of that you know like, yeah. i like making lists and, and stuff like that but at the same time it's so unfair for all the other stuff that influenced me that it didn't make it on the list or so it's i don't know <laughs> i find it difficult too and, and and i think that lists you're right lists have become sort of a badge sort of a thing i think it happened with facebook where lists became sort of your badge of honor and your definition. Like, this is the food I like. This is the top 25 films that I, top 10 uh, television shows I like. But really what lists used to be and what they could be again is the same thing that you would get when you would go to a video store. At least me, when I was a kid, you'd go into a video store, you'd talk to the clerk working behind the desk and you'd bring up a video and he'd go, oh, you're going to rent this again? How about you go watch this, this, and this, and this, which influenced this? And you go, I had no idea those existed. I'll go watch those. That sounds fucking fantastic. And I think that's something that we're missing from a lot of the algorithms right now, where it's sort of feeding you. It's like, what's your list of stuff? Okay, here's 40 films that are just like that. And so everybody's sort of trapped into this definition that they've created for themselves. And they're not really watching all these other really great films that have influenced. And so- when I get asked this question, because I get asked this question like all the time because of the podcast, and I try to go like, okay, here's what I like today. Here's what I'm watching right now. But do you know that this was influenced by this and this and this and this? And there may be some things in the list that are classic. Like, you know, if I say the thing, but go watch the original thing. And if you go watch the original thing, there's a fire sequence in that movie where they throw real gasoline on an actor and light the entire room on fire. And the actress has to hide behind a mattress so that she doesn't die. And you see all that on screen. Go watch that scene and watch that movie. And most people don't even think about it because it's not on a list somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I'm sending you a virtual hug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, I let me just say this. I I looked at your trailer earlier this week and I went, I like this guy. And just because I feel like I came up the same way you did with this art and the fact that you're coming at it from such a I call it a backdoor into Hollywood, but you're coming at it from such a personal direction. In an industry that everybody's asking, like, what's the correct way I should should I be doing? Should I be going and hanging out with uh, producers, or how do I write scripts? And how do what's do I go to film school? What do I do? The, the The reality of it is, you can sit in your space with a camera and a lens and a macro lens, and just sort of discover this world and teach yourself the process of storytelling uh, and discovery. Um, and because you did it this way. When I watch the trailer, I just, I smell that and instantly smell that, even if I'm watching it without audio. And then understanding that you have such a passion for audio, obviously, it makes sense that you've been doing like audio plays and all that kind of stuff. Because the world of audio to me is 50% of why we go see films, why I go to the cinema, because where the fuck else do I get a 24-point surround sound system with all this amazing audio you're, tools. You're you know. absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in the meantime, 
like some of the television sets uh, in people's homes are bigger than some, than some like little uh, movie theater screen. Yeah, yeah. But the sound, the sound is always. I mean, shitty. Having like a THX <laughs> system at home is kind of it, it will not happen. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. It's just most people watch television with a shitty little speaker that's on the back of the t- the, the TV unit, yeah. and it's as good as like your iPhone speaker. And, and then if you look at the mastering, I'm sure you've been in the rooms. I've been in full auto mastering spaces where you're sitting in a theater and the person's yeah. going, do you want this, this bullet sound to come from speaker five or speaker exactly. eight? Exactly. You so know? we did that. Half of my budget, half of my budget was for audio. Oh, and super cool. So we rented this like post-production facility where my sound designer, Lena Gottman, she's, she's, she's brilliant. Uh, and, uh, and, and she put together, so, I mean, I kind of had like two sound designers. I had, uh, Lenya, Lenya, who did pretty much like the sound design, like, because we didn't record any audio, pretty much everything in the film is Foley. So when, ah. when he touches something, everything is Foley. Everything was made by Lenya in her studio and, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and put it, put into the, put into the soundscape and, and Tina, uh, who is a really great electronic uh, musician and DJ, yeah. DJ uh, in 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 Austria. I always wanted to work with her, and uh, she told me that she has a tinnitus, and she would love to work on a compositional yes. soundscape. That's about a guy who has tinnitus and goes insane because she knows exactly how that sounds. So I had this like two extremely extremely dedicated women like Tina and and Linia, kind of like shaping with me this this soundscape and then in the end we were all sitting uh in this um sound facility that's pretty much like its own cinema with with the surround mm-hmm. sound mm-hmm. and that was extre- extremely expensive <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was worth it and we're sitting there and watching the the movie for the first time and everything was perfect and it was so close to what i hoped it would be and it's this like great moment and 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 and, and you listen to it and you watch it and and the film is over and you're happy and at the same time you have the feeling of like who the fuck is gonna want to watch this <laughs> well i'll, t- I'll tell <laughs> you man. it's a weird film you know <laughs> well i'll tell you this like you could shoot a macro shot of you know like a piece of fabric with blood soaking into it and play that for your friends at home right and you could put that on your computer or on your phone and you watch it and you go that's really fascinating to see but if you have cinema level sound like room filling sound underneath that, then suddenly this becomes a fucking Christopher Nolan shot. Suddenly it becomes so massive and huge. And I don't think we give enough credit to the sound that does that for us. It opens it. It literally cracks open the walls of your house and peels them away and makes it epic and huge. uh, When you have perfect sound, dude. Yeah, absolutely, and and I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how many how many young filmmakers are listening to your podcast. There's a lot. If they, if they, people people always ask me. So so, and technically speaking, it's so strange. I'm also a young filmmaker, but I'm 47. You know, <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I started. I started. I mean, I I made a lot of like short films, like all over my my like in, in my entire existence exists of a short film here and a short film there and something here and something something there. But yep. all, like really, like going into the medium of feature film, I think my 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 last films were like like the, the, the two horror features, like Rat's Nest and and, and Masking Threshold and then two 
um, uh, feature-length documentaries before that that are also very nerdy and strange. But <laughs> I, I would say it's like four or five feature films. And I, I started in 2014 with that, or 13 or 14. So for the last 10 years or so, or, or less even, yeah, that has been the time span of me really focusing a lot of my creative attention on feature-length films. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, and for, 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 for guys who are like 25 or something like that and doing that for 10 years, that's pretty much like the same time span, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, uh, the thing for me was that, of course, I did so many other things before that, that it's kind of easier to, to, to do certain things or you have better connections or you need, you need a chopped off nose or something like that. And you know who to call and where, where yeah. to get it cheap because <laughs> over the years you just like have this network of people. So there are two things that are important, uh, for a young filmmaker, make connections, meet people, write people emails or contact them on Insta, whatever it is, just like make connections, just like, because connections are kind of like, this is, this is, what you really need you need connections yes. and if, yes. if it's just someone who has like a creepy van for a creepy van scene it's good to know <laughs> make a note i learned to know someone who has a creepy van i have like i have like lists and lists and lists of things where stuff like that is noted oh matt florian has creepy van <laughs> you know email address you know it's because you will at some point need that you know yeah. and and the second thing is coming back to what we've been talking before sound yeah like you can make an entire feature film on your fucking iphone it's no problem in the meantime yeah yeah visually films like and the audience is forgiving about visuals yeah. the visuals can be a little bit wobbly or it could be and then they think maybe it's part of the aesthetics maybe maybe there's a sense you know mm -hmm. like but 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 the audience is forgiving with how things look like they all, of course also know when something looks super shiny yeah, yeah. but they're kind of forgiving yeah they are not forgiving if the sound is bad it's 100%, if, if, yeah. if, if your dialogue is like if, if you if you have to be focused to understand people speaking in a film if the background noise is bad that kind of stuff people immediately see it and say this is a bad film and it feels cheap yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, because sound's supposed to be this thing that is happening subconsciously. So if you're being pulled into that specifically and you're being made, uh, brought into, like, actually have to pay attention to what's happening, you're getting pulled out of the movie. Suspension of disbelief disappears immediately. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So, so my, my new film, my new film, Rot's Nest, is, is way more so than than masking threshold dealing with the sound level because i mean I, I, you're gonna watch it anyways and I, I give a little bit of a spoiler uh the the the, the basic idea or 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 the, or the plot is mm -hmm. that there is this uh it, it, it's it's uh, it's more it's more a comedy or a satire in the beginning and then it turns into horror mm. uh, because masking threshold is like straightforward horror uh, drama uh, with with elements of black black humor in it, but but only a little bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, Rat's Nest is, uh, is 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 at least in the beginning a straightforward satire of filmmaking and 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 pretentious art house directors and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. so what you the film is pretty much like the visual layer of the film is this pretentious art house film, uh -huh. and the actual plot what's really happening is only happening on the audio layer because uh, the director 
and the producer of the film and the camera guy and uh, and um, a journalist they are sitting in an LA sound studio recording the audio commentary track for the blu-ray of ah. the of the art house film Weird. so the entire plot is only on, you never see anyone in that film you only see the crazy art house film but Weird. there is an entire new level of of stuff that's happening on the audio layer. So it's almost like you could debate if it's a film at all, or maybe it's two films at once, or I, I don't know, but <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed playing with that. And that's even more straightforward, like targeting the 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 the, the audio part yeah, of filmmaking. Yeah. Because in that in that sense, most of the stuff you don't even see. I mean you don't see. <laughs> you imagine it in in configuration with the 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 art house film visual level and of course i'm not spoiling too much here but but there there there, there is kind of like an interaction then more and more so in the film between the audio layer and and the visual layer but uh but i'm not saying more than that but it's, it uh, sounds but that was also super fascinating that's why i told the whole story with the you know like uh uh you hear when you pour boiling water into a cup yeah, and not yeah, cold yeah, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds fat, dude. I, yeah, I have to see both these movies now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love the way you're coming at this stuff. I really do. I, you know what it is? Is I just get excited when people are pumped about technique, and and especially if technique is stimulating the story element of it, and and you, you it's pulling you in and it's taking you on this roller coaster ride. I'm ex I'm fascinated, man. I really am. I cannot wait to see these two. And you and really, you really have to drop me an email uh, and, and let me know what what you think. Yeah, we'll, really. okay, we'll or stay. Maybe in, you write me a letterbox review. No, <laughs> we'll stay in direct communication. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> just joking, joking. Letterbox review. Nope. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, dude, really fucking cool. And so, uh, so th you're on the f you're on the festival run. It looks like uh, masking's been doing well in the festivals, right? You've been you, at least pulling oh, yeah, some. Yeah, yeah. Masking, masking is beyond the festival run. So the festival run for masking was uh, between like a fantastic fest last year. So September, nice. I think, uh, I mean, it's, it's strange. It's uh, like, I, it, it's been shown at, at a festival right now in London and at a festival in France next, next uh, month. But mm -hmm. technically it has already been released because I had two weeks, at least in the U S of theatrical release at the Alamo draft house uh, theaters. And it's uh, it's on 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 the streamers since the seventh of October. So if people want to watch it, Masking Threshold is easy to find if you're mm -hmm. in the US mm -hmm. or in the English speaking world because it is on streamers. So you can find it there right now. And it was it was fun to see when it hit the streamers. Of course, yeah. more people are talking about it on Twitter and Facebook or more letterbox reviews are coming in. So that, that is interesting. So I have the feeling that's what I was saying about I have the feeling that Masking Threshold is learning to walk because in no way I can control anything anymore. Yeah. It's out there, people watch it at home, and they think whatever they want to think about it and talk whatever they want to talk about it. So it's it's out of the bag. <laughs> and, how is and, 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 and how Rotten Nest is now like really doing the festival run because nice. it had a premiere at Fantastic Fest, and it's uh, going to be at, at Nightmares next week. It was now in Germany. It will be nice. in Spain. Nice. Exactly. Like it's doing the, the, the festival thing. It will be at Kukulores Festival in November. I don't know, like a bunch of festivals, you know. Dude, congratulations, man. And and 
It looks like uh, so Alamo Drafthouse. Did they officially are they the distributors for masking? Yes, they are. They bought uh, it. How are they to work with? How is that whole process? Oh, they're they're, they're lovely people, honestly. So the thing is, uh, I, I was a little bit lucky because uh, 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 Tim Leake, who started Fantastic Fest and mm-hmm. uh, and is the head of of, of the Alamo Drafthouse. Uh, Kind of like army, let's call it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and uh, he decided that he wants to sell the uh, the Alamo. Uh, uh, he wants to sell Draft House films, mm-hmm. and uh, so they sold Draft House films to Giant in oh. uh, 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 in 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 the last couple of months. And my film is the first film to be released by Draft House Films, nice. run by Giant. And nice. of course, they are interested in, in generating attention for it because uh, because it's also their first release under new management. Yeah, and so that's that, that that that's pretty cool. But of course, Tim Leake is is is, is a good friend of of of, uh, of the people at Giant, and and he is suggesting films to them. And uh, in a certain way, it's the same thing. Like because Tim Leake also founded Neon Pictures with yeah. his friends. And then, yeah. and then he like stepped back, and he's almost like an advisor at Neon Pictures, but uh, but not really directly involved in the business ends anymore. Yeah? Right, and, right. Uh, so, so, so Tim is great about kind of like starting creative, great businesses, and then just like going back to 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 <laughs> to, to, to think about other things, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. So yeah, and I, I completely fell in love with the guy because I met him first last year at Fantastic Fest. Yep. And I told him, for example, I, I mentioned it before, our crazy cocktail robots. And I told him about our f- crazy cocktail <laughs> robots at Fantastic Fest. And this year at Fantastic Fest, we brought like 12 cocktail robots from Austria for the opening party of Fantastic Fest. And he paid for it. <laughs> That's super fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, I, from the business side, you don't have to give me specifics, but yeah. I'm, also, I'm always fascinated with distro and yeah. with uh, filmmakers trying to make a profit off their films. If this guy was only 20000 for you, I assume that you made some sort of profit on this. Or have you made a profit on the movie yet? Well, uh, let, let's call it a little bit because because uh, we, we had a good deal. We were uh, get, getting an advance and, and yep. blah, 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 blah. Like I can't probably talk. I shouldn't probably talk about it. You don't have to get specifics. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to make make anyone mad. Yeah, <laughs> but of course. In the end, of course, I mean, one of the big things, for example, uh, is that uh, if you sell a film and you, so in, in the best case scenario is that like a, a distribution company actually up, like gives you money. They give yeah. you like like twenty thousand, fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, they, they they feel is an int- is a good investment and your film is worth and they can recoup it and all that stuff uh, but uh, there, there are certain things of course that you as as the person who made the film the production company has to fulfill and one of the things for example is an ENO insurance yes yes yeah. and yes. That, and the e- and the ENO insurance can be expensive yeah so so uh and explain to um, the audience explain to the audience what an eno insurance actually is so it's pretty much an insurance that uh if there's something in the film is some copyright infringement that you even didn't know that slipped through the whole process of trying to find out who could be angry at us if released that mm-hmm. film or 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 uh or some you know, like some some copyrights that might might have been uh uh forgotten that that you have an insurance that covers potential kind of like financial uh, problems that come with that. Right. That is pretty much, you know. 
it, you have to be like, there's a lot you have to go through to be approved for you know insurance, correct? Like it's a oh, yeah. it's a big and process. Usually, usually in my case it was different. Usually you work with an E and O insurer from the beginning of the production of your film. It's I mean most of the time for short films nobody does that because I mean short films in the end uh, live in a couple of festivals and then live on YouTube or some or Vimeo or something like that. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Uh, uh, and and most of the time nobody really bothers but of course if it's a film like my film that has a national release and, and a streaming release of course like i i don't i personally don't want that that draft house film slash giant runs into problems because i yeah. did something wrong or I, I i i i didn't know so of course yeah. you usually work with a lawyer the lawyer checks the film has a look has a look at it in our case there are a couple of cultural references in the film there is even a mickey mouse in it huh. uh, but my my, my uh, like an old one like steamboat willie um a reference huh. uh, because the guy is very obsessive also with his with his online persona uh, in masking threshold so he looks at a lot of memes and stuff like that but uh, our lawyer for example said this is all covered by by fair use yeah uh, uh, and uh, and it's also to a certain degrees like making fun of it or satirizing it. So so there's there's, there's always a gray area. But yeah, but 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 in our in our case, uh, the lawyer said it is okay. Uh, I, I give my okay to that. And then with that assessment of the lawyer, you go to the E and O. Uh, so we went to the E and O insurer. They checked that out. Uh, and uh, and sent us an invoice, you know, and then and then we paid for it, and now now it's covered. <laughs> Usually that starts from the beginning. Usually yeah. you're working with an in in O insurer from the beginning, because they they are part of the production of the film, and then they can in the production also say or read, for example, the script, and yeah. then they can already say uh, together with our lawyer and their lawyer, they can say like you should probably not do this and not do this and not do this. Then it's easier and cheaper yes. uh, to get. The insurance yeah in my case i mean i didn't expect it to happen honestly that we get uh, uh, a distribution for the film so i didn't even bother that and i'm also in austria and that's a different law system and uh -huh. uh, yeah in the end uh, uh we had to like post posthumously or something like that sure, I call it. <laughs> I sure. we had, like the film was already finished and done and then we had to find an eno insurer also an eno insurer that can insure a release in the US for an Austrian film, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So also like the whole nation state bullshit comes into the problem zone. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, so, but it was, it was, it was honestly fascinating to do all of that. I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, see, a lot of people don't think about that stuff. And, and it makes sense that you really understand that because I've had to deal with that with feature length documentary work. And it, when you're in documentaries, that's when you really fucking need it because you don't know what the hell's gonna, you know, if, if there was someone in the, in an audience or someone in a crowd somewhere, or there's something that happened, you really have to be covered for it. And this is one of those expenses that no one really thinks about. And it's, it isn't until like you get to the point where someone's like, hey, we potentially want to distribute this thing. Do you have E&O insurance? You go, what? <laughs> and then, and yeah. then at the back end, you're like, how expensive no, it's is this? It's not the end of the world. You can still get it, but it's a little bit more more uh, complicated. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's always funny to me 
the amount of things that you have to do when you're mastering things out. It, it, there's this sort of rule set, uh, and they're not as crazy as they used to be, but like the technical standards of things and how things have to be mastered out and how much money you have to spend for specific out outlets. And it's, yeah. it's become a lot easier now that it's all mostly a digital medium and you're not putting things yeah. on physical media. But then media. you have to deal with, yeah, then you have to deal with shit like DCPs and stuff yeah. like that. Oh my <laughs> God, DCPs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably oh, yeah. the only the only standard on the planet that deals with JPEG 2000, uh -huh. and most people don't even know that there that a JPEG 2000 standard existed. And I the know. only the only standard, the only thing that uses it is uh, is DCPs because <laughs> it's late 90s technology and i mean it got updated over times but i mean e even that is better like I, I remember my first two documentary features i paid someone like 500 bucks to just like make my dcp in uh -huh. the meantime there's there are really good uh, tools like uh, dcp omatic it's kind of like a free software like open source software to make dcps but still it's a little bit tricky you have to know what the cinemas expect the theaters expect from you and and how right. the, the nomenclature like the, the the name of the dcp yeah has to all the yeah blah 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 there's a lot of stuff like that well, so i mean uh, if the audience doesn't know because we're talking nerdy about this stuff a dcp yeah, is, the, is the digital file that is submitted for a lot of digital projection so like exactly uh, so it's, it's a digital cinema standard yeah, yes. it's, it's, it's a digital cinema standard how uh, a movie that is not a real film, you know, like 35 millimeter something. Uh, yeah. But it's, if it's a digital projection in a theater, it is a DCP that you see. And that DCP has to be made. And it's an unforgiving standard. If there's one byte wrong in yeah. a 200 megabyte DCP, if one, if one byte changes... From yeah. one to two, or from 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 A to X, or something like that. The entire DCP doesn't work anymore. It's it's the worst. <laughs> it right. really is. And they but built it, it to be that complicated to create it. Yeah. But it's an incredibly stable standard because it rarely never happens that DCPs crash in movie theaters. And, and, and it, that's like a, a wonder by itself that they, it, it's yeah. a purely digital system in the meantime that almost never crashes. It's true. It's also it's also built specifically for security as well, yeah. I think, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's encrypted and everything else. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fun. I think this is the first time on the show that I've actually talked about this stuff with a guest because it's, it's not the sexy stuff. You know what I mean? And, no, and it's not the sexy stuff. No. It's the stuff that happens <laughs> in the back end. It's like after that excitement of like, wow, we're actually getting distribution. Wow, this is going to end up in theaters. Wow, uh, this festival wants a DCP. What's a DCP? Can I just run that out of Premiere? Where do I get a DCP? And then you fall in this rabbit hole going like, oh my God. <laughs> this is, all, yeah, yeah. This yeah, is yeah. the whole thing. Um, yeah, yeah, super cool, man. Super cool. I hope uh, like all, uh, all your listeners didn't fall asleep through the no, DCP. Party. They love this shit. <laughs> there are a lot of nerds out there. I mean, here's why this is a great episode. One, your passion's phenomenal. I'm excited about your passion filmmaking. I'm excited about Thank your you. your interest in technique and your fascination with sound. And anybody that does an entire feature film with with macro shots. Uh, and voiceover, you've got me. Like, I'm in. I am so in on this. Um, I also like the Cosmic Dread. If you guys watch the trailer first, go watch uh, Masking Threshold trailer right now. I'll put it on our website so that you can see it. And then do it. I'm going to watch it tonight. 
I'm going to get it tonight and watch it tonight because I'm completely excited about it because we live in a time period right now where I feel like most of the content that we're being fed, like pigs at a trough, most of the content is like corn. You know what I mean? Where it's very basic. You know what's going to happen. You know all the rhythms. You know all the beats. And you know what you're going to see. This I'm excited about because I don't necessarily know. And the, the themes are something I've seen before, like you said. But I'm excited to see where you go visually with this. Um, mm -hmm. So absolutely wonderful. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I, I, I can't wait to to hear what you think about it. Yeah. Yes. It was really like as I said before, like when I first saw it in 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 the cinema, I thought, oh my god, who's gonna want to watch this? Yeah. It's exactly <laughs> what I want, but who's gonna watch it? Because it is in a strange place. It's in a strange, uncanny place between genre and art house and i never actually never wanted to make an art house film that is not what because some people out there say like my god it's just like of some boring art house film and then mm -hmm. then there's some blood as well blah, 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 blah. no like i was never like like trying to aim for that i thought like i would like to find a great way uh to tell that is visually compelling and new and fresh to 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 tell the age-old story of some guy going insane yes that, that's all I wanted to do. <laughs> well, dude, and the thing that got me in the trailer is just that little, it's like that little twist that happens where it's like, and it, you feel like they're hearing a sound when death happens or there's, there's something that's happening there. And it's like, Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And, it, it's, and, and from the, from the composition, I mean, it's a classic, like three act structure and everything like that. Of course, that all of that is a little bit different if you have pretty much like one guy talking. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. like how, how do you do a three act structure with one guy talking and doing a monologue? You know, yeah. but of course it works as well. I mean, yeah. like every film has a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, that's three acts. You know, yeah. And uh, and uh, so for me, it was kind of important to to kind of like how, it's, it's hard. I've I've never really thought about that in that way, but the the pacing of the mm -hmm. film is mm -hmm. at least in the beginning kind of slow. Yep. And I, I almost deliberately did it because what's important for me and what's important uh, to, to understand that character is that you kind of have to slow down to his pace of thinking. You kind of yeah. almost like you, you, you have to crawl into his like strange minds mm -hmm. and the very moment you're kind of synchronized, or that's at least what I try to do. The moment you're synchronized with this like strange nerd and the things he thinks about the world and, and, and what he wants and his hate for his mother and all that stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and that, and then there is this almost exponential escalation at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and, but I think honestly, it wouldn't work any other way. Yeah. So it, 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 it wouldn't because, uh, and honestly, I mean, there are, escalating things before that of course but they are not like in the sense of like you know it's not a film where people should get bored after 15 minutes because some some girl hasn't been stabbed in the eye yet that's not <laughs> that kind of film <laughs> right 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 well dude i can't wait to see it i can't wait to see it and we should probably wrap this up but this has been yeah. such a great conversation man i really enjoy meeting you 
This has been it, absolutely, a lot of absolutely. Fun, it was a, a great, great. Uh, seems there's there's this a good old punk saying from Germany from the 1980s: "The good forces cannot be kept apart." And I have the feeling two good forces met. <laughs> yes, dude. Me too. Me too. We're gonna t- we're gonna get a little nerdy when we come offline. The audience won't be able to hear it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, look, I appreciate you being on the show, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you. I feel very welcome in your universe. There it is. I really like Johannes. I really do. Him and I really get along. I just, I love this. I love this fucking show for that reason. You know, I'm selfishly doing this. I know you all get to re- right, reap the benefits of uh, these conversations, but so do I, man. I get to meet these cool folks. I hope uh, we just talked offline. Next time he comes to Los Angeles, we're going to hang out. Would you like him back on the show? I'm thinking about maybe putting together like a power horror panel on the show bunch of really uh great directors maybe i'll get prano on with them you know what do you think i think that'd be a lot of fun to do um thanks everybody for listening and um uh lots of stuff on the way i'm still booking guests i'm still talking to some pretty interesting folks trying to get everything nailed down trying to get my fucking life back in order after doing a huge shoot I don't know if you guys feel this way. You you end up pulled on a shoot. Uh, it takes over your life. You become obsessive with prep. You become obsessive with like gear rentals and crew fucking, uh, you know, booking. And, and then, then you do the shoot. And it's like two intense 14-hour days that are exhaustive but incredibly rewarding. And then you come out of it and then you have to celebrate right so you go out you drink too much you eat too much you go through the celebration process you're fucking exhausted you gotta wrap things out get things ready for post-production it really took took over my life for over a week and that's why things have been a little strange with me getting these episodes back out in order i gotta get out in front of it again i usually have a queue filled with episodes but after going home to the east coast for what three weeks four weeks uh, i used them all up so I'm going to try to get a bunch of in front of me again, guys. I'm going to try to lay some more down so I don't feel like I'm, uh, I've got a gun to my head. <laughs> uh, but uh, I love everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. Um, I'm trying to think, was I referencing anything in the beginning? Uh, I don't know. Whatever, man. I think I'm done, right? You guys done listening? It's a good episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys are getting ready for your Halloween adventures. What are you guys dressed up this year as? What are you guys watching this year? What strange films are you watching this year? I very much suggest if you want to get to the roots of some of the horror classics that exist, if you want to know the movies that influenced all these new movies that you guys really like, um, definitely uh, check out the Criterion channel and they do not sponsor me. So this isn't a sponsor read. Uh, But go check them out. There's a bunch of really great movies from the 80s. Near Dark, Bill Paxton's movie, Vampire Movie with Lance Hendrickson. I finally saw it. I had never seen it before. Uh, That's on Criterion. It's a fun watch. A beautiful movie, actually, visually. Um, But uh, that's definitely there. And uh, I just watched, like I said on the last episode, uh, the original Frankenstein Universal Horror Movie. Um, awesome watch 
Um, I watched the first Godzilla movie again. Fucking really horrific movie. If you, the trick is to put yourself in the mindset of that time period when you watch black and white movie. If you go back and watch a classic, um, it's going to be hard for you, especially if you're young right now. It's going to be difficult for you to get into that mindset because you're going to be like, it's black and white. I, I, it blows my mind how many people are still turned off by black and white. It's just like, what the fuck? But it's it's black and white. I don't understand their speech patterns. They, they talk funny. It kind of feels staged, you know, but just understand that this is like the infancy of the medium, right? You've got directors and actors trying to translate what they did on the stage to blocking to performances in front of the camera. So they're learning. This is the progression of the language. And what's fascinating is if you're not judging it when you watch these things, if you're putting yourself in that position, you're seeing technique, you're seeing skills, you're seeing tricks in their purest form. And oftentimes, it's very easy to spot them. It's like the difference between working on, if, if you've ever been a car mechanic, or if you've ever lifted the hood of your vehicle, if you have been to a classic car show, if you lift the hood of like an old Chevelle SS and you look inside, it's pretty much an empty cavern, right? Usually just the engine block, maybe a carburetor, an air filter, I don't even think they had power steering. Maybe there's a power steering fan, uh, but you see all the pieces. It's very easy to identify everything when you look inside there. You may even see the oil filter if you look hard enough right in there, right? Um, but if you lift the hood to a modern vehicle, and I'm not even talking hybrids, I'm just talking straight up modern gas vehicles. It's a fucking sea of shit. And all of this stuff that's in there makes these cars run efficiently, make these cars very easy to drive, make these vehicles seamless for your life, right? I equate that to a lot of what we have for cinema today. You watch a lot of current modern cinema, it has been based on these original techniques and layered and people go, ah, you know, it's better if we run this this way and we do this this way, bup, 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 bup. so it becomes this sort of spider web of technique um and if you want to go back and understand what it's all built on go lift the hood to one of the classic films because it's very easy to look in there and see the techniques right you can go cool that camera move made me feel this way interesting that heavy-handed sound cue did this and i've seen that before and i've heard that before in modern movies that's interesting and the way that they incorporate that into modern storytelling is fascinating and if you go back and you look at those roots, you're going to be inspired by them. And then that inspiration will make your stuff feel different. You ever notice how Scorsese's movies, even though they're very modern and they feel very modern, they have old school techniques in them that people watch and they go, his style is so weird and avant-garde. Where does that come from? He just watches classics, man. So don't be afraid of classics. I don't know how else to say this. Just because the movie's fucking black and white or because the movie has no sound and if it's subtitled doesn't mean it's a bad fucking movie it just means that you need to work a little bit harder to be invested in that it hasn't been fed to you it hasn't come down the trough assembly line so you can put your little fucking pig snout in there and eat it without thinking you have to think and if you're in the business 
to appreciate film, if you're in the business to be inspired by the language of cinema, you got to do a little thinking every once in a while. The Criterion Channel is a great place to do that. All right. Like I said, not an ad read. Um, that's it. That's the only fucking schooling I'm going to do for you guys today. That's all of it. Thanks for listening. Love you guys. Get ready for Halloween. And uh, I'll see you next Tuesday.